Welcome to episode 111 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is federal analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And news broke that DISH is launching a Boost Infinite service as a second postpaid offering for 5G. And so my immediate question when I read this was, how is this going to complement Project Genesis, which is its uh, traditional greenfield 5G deployment, which just recently officially hit 20% coverage um, and avoiding a potentially very expensive FCC fine. So from my perspective, it's no mystery that that prepaid service that uh, DISH acquired and Boost has been a money loser. They've shed almost a million subscribers. And so from my perspective, and then there's no desire on, on DISH's part to uh, fire sale or get rid of the Boost um, uh, business because it was, uh, it was quite a pretty penny. I think they paid like 1.5 billion for it uh, with this whole TMO uh, divestiture uh, activity. But this is interesting because it is a postpaid service on a prepaid service. And there aren't a lot of details, but it talks about how the service will leverage the networks of DISH, AT&T, and T-Mobile. So obviously, and they're positioning the power of three 5G networks from a coverage standpoint, because that's where they're not at with Project Genesis. But um, this is interesting. And from my perspective, again, there weren't a lot of details shared. There is a registration page that is up that, that folks can sign up for and get, get more information on. But could this like confuse the market? I mean, I'd love to get your input on this, Anshul. Yeah, I think it could confuse the market. Um, I think one thing to consider is that um, I think that they are trying to create different offerings to see where what can be successful. Um, and, you know, I think they need to have something that's going to be competitive um, with other carriers. But... I don't know. Did they talk about pricing? Because no, no, no details. Just the, they put the page up and they spoke in very kind of general terms about you know yeah. the fact that it's going to leverage two of their competitors' networks. So yeah, I heard something about Web three and and using some cryptocurrency as well or decentralized. Yeah. So for a I'm, unique for a unique offering is what they're positioning. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if crypto is involved in this as well. But yeah, I think um, the one thing that that's that would be interesting is that there isn't really a carrier that can aggregate, you know, AT and T and T Mobile, yeah. um, along with Dish. So there there could be you know coverage and performance benefits, um, but ultimately I think that the challenge is first of all, Boost was a prepaid service for the most part, not a postpaid service. Exactly. So that's confusing. Right. And then, um, you know, people don't really associate Boost with something that's high quality. It's like cheap. That's like kind of how they were successful. Right. Um, so I think they're going to have to figure out how they like pivot that um, and, and figure out how they like change that perception. Um, and to your point, you know, they've lost a lot of customers. So I think there needs to be like a complete re, re like launch of the brand. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe this is it, but, you know, using buzzwords um, and, and, and associating with crypto in this current phrase, you know, phase of crypto um, yeah. and its second crypto crash. Um, yeah. I think that uh, it's not an ideal timing for them to, to go with this kind of marketing. Um, but I think that there's potential for this to be pretty good 
for a lot of people in a lot of places because it can essentially pull from whatever the best resources are where you're located. Yeah, you know, and you know, you mentioned this kind of being that sort of value brand. And so this might be a way for them to tear out their postpaid service. So Project Genesis, again, that, that's their internal code name. That, that is their greenfield, you know, very broad built 5G network. So this could ladder underneath that from a pricing standpoint. Uh, but it's just, you know, I think it, it dilutes what they're trying to do. And I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. But at the same time, their CEO, Charlie Ingram, he's adamant about not jettisoning the, the, the boost acquisition. And certainly there'll be a place for, you know, prepaid accounts at some point, but, but they've got to do something to sort of stop the hemorrhaging. And this whole boost infinite might be a way to try to like lift the brand up, but it, you know, time will tell, it'll be really interesting, but that's my first topic is a nice segue into your first topic. And you want to talk about dish and T-Mobile and the 800 megahertz spectrum. Yeah. So this is kind of a continuation of the uh, sprint acquisition. Uh, T-Mobile was basically required to offer this spectrum to dish um, to buy and use if they wanted to um, because T-Mobile had such considerable hollerings in 2.5. And as a result, um, this was, I think, something in the range of um, 13 megahertz, 13.5 megahertz of the 800 megahertz band. And um, this was from 2019. And it, the agreement was $3.5 billion, um, but they would, have to, um, they would have to close the purchase within the next year. And if it decides not to acquire the spectrum, they owe T-Mobile $72 million. Mm-hmm. So in either scenario, um, T-Mobile wins, I think. Right, right. Um, because this is not that much spectrum but it is low band um, and 10 megahertz of spectrum would be really valuable for a good uplink coverage. Right. Um, but the, the, the article from Mike Dana over at Light Reading implies that, you know, the current financial situation at DISH um, is very uh, unlikely to facilitate the acquisition of this spectrum. Right. Um, and even Charlie Ergen said that uh, uh, there's very it's not a must have for them. So it sounds like they probably won't buy it, um, which would mean that T-Mobile will have um, an additional low, low band um, piece of spectrum available for coverage. Um, but I also believe that T-Mobile, you know, I don't know what their, their, their holdings are like when you consider that, you know, they've been building this network with 600 megahertz in mind yeah. Uh, as the low band, um, but you know it probably won't hurt to have a hundred in some places where maybe their eight hundred, their six hundred coverage, or even their seven hundred coverage isn't that great. Yeah. Um, you know, more spectrum is always better. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, the profile of eight hundred versus six hundred provides better better performance as well. Yeah, and you know, if I were a guessing guy, um, I don't believe you know Dish follows through um, because financially they are. I mean, they're, they're sort of up against the wall. They've been losing subs. You know, we talked about Boost. Um, they're, they're trying to invest and, you know, build out these 5G networks. Now they're, they're forking it with this Boost Infinite that we were talking about earlier. So I, my prediction is they pass. 
T-Mobile gets to keep the spectrum and T-Mobile gets a nice little paycheck um, at the same time. So, but, you know, we'll keep, we'll keep our eyes and ears on this and, and report back if there's anything to, to report on. But let's move to my second topic this week. And there's big news. You know, I talked about attending the Lorraine Alliance uh, World Expo in Paris a few weeks ago. Well, big news. Uh, brewing over the weekend that, you know, the, the possibility of Simtech acquiring Sierra Wireless. So Simtech is the silicon provider that uh, develops a lot of the LoRaWAN um, stuff that's under the hood. Um, we got word over the weekend that there, there might be an acquisition. And then on Monday, it came to fruition. And I was actually on an analyst call earlier this week. The details of the deal, it's about a $1.2 billion uh, deal. It, it, it prices the Sierra Wireless stock at 31 bucks a share which I haven't looked currently at what Sierra is trading at, but I'm assuming that's at a premium. And, you know, the, the big question for me is, you know, can this tie up compete with 5G based IOT network deployments? So Laura has been, you know, very, you know, um, low power, fits the bill quite well, not intending to compete with, uh, with 5G IOT that might control things like tactile operations and manufacturing environments. But what's interesting about Sierra they have a long history in cellular, obviously. They also have a long history in putting actual solutions together. You know, and we've talked about Qualcomm. So Qualcomm has evolved from being a silicon provider to a solutions provider. And, you know, I believe this was probably on a podcast many months ago. We talked about their smart city solutions and you and I attended an event in San Diego where we got to spend more time and understand this. And so I think a tie up, it's on the surface, it's a positive thing because it gives Semtech more legs to focus on uh, market-facing opportunities and providing a complete solution. Sierra also brings cellular capability. So the strategy could, could uh, move away from narrowband IoT to more of a portfolio approach, but they were very light on the details with respect uh, to how cellular would, would shake out of that, you know, LTE and 5G and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think the details will be forthcoming. You know, one of the things that I noted on the, uh, and I shared this on Twitter, was a, a real focus on sustainability. And they believe that this tie-up can provide solutions that support sustainability and, and conservation and, um, you know, monitor things like, you know, uh, concerns around global warming and that sort of thing with, with IoT. And, you know, I think that's a great, you know, thing to focus on. But I don't necessarily see that as the big value. The big value I see is with these two companies coming together, which I expect will meet regulatory approval, but um, that process will have to go on. But um, I think it's a solid tie up on paper, but um, I don't know if you caught the news on this. Do you have any thoughts? I did catch the news. Uh, I do have an update. That is a 25% premium. Uh, okay. That getting Thank on you. Share. Yeah. So uh, significant yeah. premium. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Um, on top of that, I see this as a little bit more of a vertical integration, you know? Um, I, I think you're right that they will probably um, jettison some of the non-IoT businesses, um, like the 5G stuff, but they could also transition some of that 5G into more IoT-focused 5G um, that might just fit better within the profile of the business and offer it as an alternative to proprietary uh, standards. Um, because there's, you know, I think when we look at, when you look at what's going on in IoT today, um, the companies that offer the most possible solutions um, 
are the ones that are likely to be the most successful um, just because um, there's so many different things that are potentially available, um, the different standards, you know, different models. And as a result, I think that there just needs to be more flexibility. Um, and I think this will offer more flexibility for them in IoT, both companies really. Um, and as a result, I think there, this will be approved and I think it will be a net benefit um, for the industry. Um, there will be some companies that will be, you know, affected by this. Um, but in general, I think it will also probably spur other companies to think about um, how they can consolidate um, in the IoT business to yeah. you know, focus on certain areas. And I think the sustainability um, aspect is, is a good one. Um, mm -hmm. I think it plays well into um, a lot of what some of the um, European um, Regulars are, regulators are talking about, and even the Biden administration. So I think there will be a big opportunity in, uh, you know, monitoring different types of infrastructure and even going out and monitoring, you know, water levels in, in places and making sure that, um, you know, we have better data on what's going on in our world. And IoT is really the only way of doing that. So yeah. um, I think that there's definitely some opportunities there for them. And um, it may be a small opportunity today, but I think there's lots of um, growth down the road for them. And I, I can see why they would go down that path. Yeah. And I, I think this pulls Laura into, into more opportunities. And to your point, if you offer um, a diversity of a portfolio, provide more choices, then you open up a greater total addressable market for, for your solutions. And I think that could do that. I, I could do it. So um, yeah, I expect this deal to get approved and um It'll be interesting to see sort of what trails after. But let's move to your second topic this week. And you know, we talked, we've been talking about the, the most recent 2.5 gigahertz spectrum auction. And you wanted to provide uh, an update as it's beginning to wind down. Yeah, so it is currently today um, in its 10th and 11th rounds um, of bidding. So the way you know bidding happens in the FCC is there's rounds of, of bidding and Nobody's really aware of what's going on in terms of bidding other than, you know, on the specific licenses that are, are being bid on. Um, and these are mostly at county level. So there's thousands of them. Um, by round nine, um, there were 162 licenses with no bids, while there were 5,828 licenses with a single bidder and 1,997 licenses being actively contested by multiple bidders. Mm -hmm. um, that 5,800 number means that's mostly T-Mobile because um, T-Mobile is the one who cares the most about this band as they already hold the most spectrum. Right. Um, there are some, some you know, spectrum uh, um, acquisition firms that are also holders of 2.5 um, that are holding it, I believe, to um, get T-Mobile to pay up right. um, when they need it. Um, but this, this auction is really mostly for T-Mobile because anybody else who were to acquire the spectrum, um, you know, they would have to roll out the infrastructure to, to you know, the hardware to support it. Um, and that just doesn't make sense if you don't already have the spectrum in place. So this is mostly T-Mobile um, trying to acquire spectrum and others trying to run up the costs for them yeah. um, because I don't really see anyone else deploying the spectrum, uh, at least at this current juncture. Um, but there are, you know, some of T-Mobile's uh, licenses will probably expire as well because they were transferred from universities and 
there's a whole issue with that, you know, and, and the whole fact that, you know, some of this was originally intended for WiMAX. Um, and now yeah. that's a fairly old technology. So, you know, yeah. T-Mobile is really going to um, trying to solidify their 2.4, 2.5 gigahertz holdings and fill some gaps. But uh, what's interesting is it's currently at $140 million um, in, in terms of bidding. And it was uh, at $100 million four days ago. So it's starting to slow down. Yeah. Um, and usually when these auctions slow down is when they come closer to completion. Mm -hmm. um, so it looks like we'll probably... This will probably be under a billion dollars, if not under five hundred million dollars, yeah. um, as an auction, which I don't think really surprises anyone, um, because T-Mobile obviously is the only interested party here for the most yeah. part, um, and anyone else interested in this is mostly trying to, um, you know, get T-Mobile to pay them. Um, but what's interesting is, according to this RCR article, um, the most in-demand licenses as of round nine were in. Cibola County, New Mexico, uh, Roscommon County, Crawford, and Misaki counties in Michigan, and Daggett County in Utah, and all of those counties have a population of less than thirty thousand. So, very even the most, yeah, even the hottest bid, bidding areas are not really that populous, um, which mostly indicates that I think you know T-Mobile is really trying to, you know, deliver on their promise of, of offering the spectrum um, in rural areas and, and actually you know, delivering potentially up to, you know, multi-gigabit performance. You know, I, I've actually seen in the real world, T-Mobile deliver 1.5 gig gigabits per second uh, on their mid-band network. So I really think that this is a net positive for T-Mobile um, yeah. and its customers, and it will continue, to, it will allow T-Mobile to continue their expansion of their network um, into, into more areas, um, because if they don't have the spectrum, they're not going to deploy the infrastructure. So yeah. Um, I think it's critical for T-Mobile not to have to overpay for this. And it sounds like they probably won't be, which I think is good. But I know there are some, some companies that still hold 2.5 gigahertz um, that are buying them from universities and, and other schools right. to get T-Mobile to uh, buy it from them at a premium. Yeah. No, I, your, your insight is spot on. I agree with you. This is a gap fill strategy for T-Mobile to continue to um, build out that, that rural footprint. They've been very committed. I, we've talked about their programs in the past, um, contests and grants and, and that sort of thing. Um, they're, they're absolutely clearly focused on, on bridging the digital divide with their, their mobile network. Um, and I think some of these others that are, that are uh, you know, they're not poaching it, but some of these other smaller entities, service providers, uh, companies are, you know, that are, that are acquiring the 2.5, it's probably a squatter thing that they want to, you know, try to, you know, turn around and flip or whatever. And I'm also not surprised. Um, I didn't expect this auction um, to go into the stratosphere like, you know, C-band did. And, you know, and that's a good thing at the end of the day. And this just solidifies T-Mobile's, you know, continued lead um, over AT&T and, and Verizon. But, AT&T and Verizon are working very hard to uh, deploy their C-band assets and some of the assets, you know, the 110 assets that AT&T acquired as well. And uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interesting to see and uh, we'll continue to monitor this as it, as it winds down. But I think you're right. I mean, this one may not even hit half a billion. So I think it's good. I'm very vocal about the whole notion on we got to cap this stuff because it becomes a tax to the, to the operators and it hinders and slows down their ability to get these 5G networks deployed. But, um, and that's a nice segue to my third and final topic. 
And we did talk about India on our uh, last week's podcast and they were launching their, their 5G auctions finally. And so this week news broke about uh, Reliance and um, they have a very aggressive plan to launch their 5G service. And just days after uh, the Spectrum auction is, is set to end. So um, I'll provide an update here. So um, they believe that they'll be ready by as soon as mid-August. By the way, uh, Reliance was the largest winner of Spectrum. So they actually won uh, close to half of all the 5G frequencies um, for about $11 billion. And the Spectrum profile was 700 megahertz and 800, 1.8 gigahertz, 3.3 gigahertz, and then 26 gigahertz. So this is very complete, man. This is low, mid, and high band. And uh, you know what I also found interesting too, and I didn't know this, they, they have claimed that, you know, in January that they had completed 5G coverage well, from a planning perspective for over a thousand cities. So um, they anticipated this. They put the, the they did the pre-planning, you know, to, to get ready. And so by all, by all measures, you know, and, and given the speed of the deployment of their LTE network, which you and I have talked about in years past, um, I wouldn't put put it past reliance that they can they can get this thing off the ground. I mean, not maybe entirely by mid-August, but I think you know they could probably definitely accelerate that timeline. But would love to get your perspective. Yeah, you know, I always had a feeling that um, there would be a potential opportunity for some of these operators to anticipate this auction um, and have you know in- infrastructure in place to be ready to to turn on, uh, or at least in some places, uh, you know, immediately after the auction. Um, I think this might also be a function of the fact that um, they may have already cleared some of this space yeah. in advance of the auction, or that you know Reliance has agreements in place with the spectrum holders um, to you know clear already have pre-cleared the spectrum. I don't know what the situation was with clearing in India, uh, but I have a feeling because they've taken so long, maybe they've already cleared the spectrum. Yeah. Um, but I think the real interesting part is this will help Reliance um, kind of win the 5G marketing war within India um, because, you know, they get to claim that they're first. Um, And, you know, Reliance has been, you know, one of the companies that have audacious claims. Yeah. Um, And I think that this is probably one of them as well. Um, And we'll see, you know, what that 5G service looks like, but you know, my, from my experience, usually in India, when somebody uh, rolls something out uh, early or earlier than expected, it's usually in a very small footprint, um, and it's usually in, in a very densely populated area where um, you know the 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 economics pay pay instantaneously. Right, um, right. So, and and I think they have, if I remember correctly, they bought like four diff- different swaths of spectrum. They mm-hmm. have. 700, 800, 1.8, 3.3, yeah. and 26 gigahertz. That's so all they I have, Yeah, yeah. They have, they have five different bands that they could potentially aggregate together. You know, I obviously don't think they're going to have all five available at launch, but right. they could fit on probably a majority of those and offer gigabit speeds right, out the, right off the bat. So mm-hmm. um, I think this is going to help them considerably. And, you know, we didn't talk about this during the podcast this week, but... Um, I think we might have covered it last week, um, where where um, their competitor um, 
Airtel announced a bunch of different uh, infrastructure vendors as as companies that they were going to be rolling their 5G network out with, right? Like Ericsson, I think Samsung, um, and even Nokia. And obviously that helps them build buzz for their upcoming 5G network. Um, So I think that announcement may have been in anticipation of, um, you know, uh, Reliance Geo saying, hey, we're going to flip on next month. Mm -hmm. So um, it'll be very interesting to see how that uh, translates uh, because we're actually not even next month, we're already in next month. So, you know, yes. flipping on within the next few days. So we'll see yeah. what happens, but I think, I think um, we're going to have a very interesting um, next few months in India, even next few years, because, you know, they're a little bit behind, but I think they're going to move a lot quicker uh, than we've seen other, other geos move. I agree. Yeah. Reliance has definitely proven that with their LTE deployment. So Let's move to your third and final topic. And you want to talk about a company, Helium, claiming that it has a new banking, brand new, shiny 5G network, right? Yeah. So Helium is actually like a open source um, technology that allows people to crowdsource their uh, network coverage. And you basically like get paid uh, to keep this node alive with tokens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there's... You know, they have a whole ecosystem of partners, which include FreedomFi, Dish, GigaSky, BuySells, Mosolabs, CalChip, and Bobcat. Um, and they basically, uh, you know, they're launching their next-gen network, but they're calling it their Helium 5G network. Okay. And the problem with that, and, you know, thanks to Sasha Sagan for, you know, looking into this at PCMag, um, it's not a 5G network. It's, it's, it's actually a 4G LTE network based on CBRS, which is what they've already been using. Okay. Um, so it's pretty much marketing. Yeah. Um, while the network may be potentially capable of 5G, since CBRS and Band 48 is capable of 5G, none of the radio equipment is 5G NR. Um, and there is no clear date when that transition could occur. Um, and all the current coverage and nodes that exist within Helium's um, partners, whether they're FreedomFi or GigaSky, just don't have 5G. So um, they're basically claiming that they have 5G coverage when there isn't any. And um, he even looked into their coverage for their 5G network and found that you know even their claims for 5G coverage aren't really what they say they are. Um, and that, you know, they claim 2,000 5G hotspots in 47 U.S. states. Um, but he found that, you know, even their claim, their coverage claims aren't really what they claim they are. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how Helium meshes with DISH in terms of coverage. But it's very unclear what that looks like. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting. They've got a lot of smoke and mirrors going on here. And it's not really quite um, what they're claiming, what, neither on the technology nor the coverage. So yeah. I think that this network probably has a lot more um, time and, and needs, needs to grow a little more before they can make coverage claims or even claim that they have 5G. Yeah. Um, but today it's kind of, you know, a lot of hyperbole. 
Yeah, you know, it, it sort of smells to me sort of like, and you know, and you and I and our, our chief analyst, Patrick Moorhead, we were all pretty critical of AT&T and that whole 5G evolution. And that was their clever marketing way to state that they were densifying the network, preparing the LTE network for 5G. Um, it confused a lot of consumers. And it almost sounds to me what Helium is doing is they're, they're taking it to another level. And what they should be messaging is, 5G ready or, you know, whatnot, but it's clearly not a 5G network. So, I mean, you know, even, even you know, faulting AT&T for that and you and I and Patrick, you know, provided our friends at AT&T um, a lot of feedback on numerous occasions there. This is just out and out deceptive, you know? So, I you know, I don't know. And I'm, you know, um, I love to read Sasha's, you know, columns, you know, at PC Mac because he really gets out there and, <laughs> And exposes a lot of this stuff, you know, for, for what it is. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it all winds out. But hey, buddy, it was another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.